So we're rolling. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Ray. Good, good to be here. Yeah, so you are the youngest person in history to have ever claimed Mount Everest, right? That is correct. Yes, Mount Everest as well as the Seven Summits. Oh, and how old were you when you claimed Everest? I was 13 years old uh, when we reached the summit of Mount Everest, uh, just a month and a half shy of uh, 14 years old, and then uh, 15 years old when I completed the seven summits. That is insane. So, like, I hear to train for Mount Everest, it takes a long time. It's not an easy feat. So what was that like as, you know, being so young and preparing to do one of the most difficult feats? Well, to be 12... 13 years old and preparing for Mount Everest was not easy. Also given the fact that I had a lot of uh, friends too, who uh, weren't really into mountain climbing. It was a very unusual thing to be into at that age. And uh, throughout the whole time of climbing the seven summits from age 19, from age nine to 15, you go through a lot of changes to those years regardless. But uh, from 12 years old to 13 years old when we were training for Mount Everest was a, was a, was a hell of a challenge. Not only I I, th- I thought as training as the easiest part of it. I think that the uh, planning and logistics of it, that was the biggest headache. And I felt like it was a lot more. Um, I felt like I was only focusing on one thing when I was training more. So like, yes, it was physically hard, but mentally it was a way to kind of clear my head a little bit, but not to mention, I mean, it was still challenging, but um, the planning and logistics part, that was, Mm -hmm. uh, that was definitely difficult. And I think even still to this day, like, I felt like, uh, you know, I did a good job as far as, as helping and just kind of like understanding what goes, what's going on behind the scenes as well. But with my parents, of course, like, you know, having to be the only ones that could be able to actually like, arrange everything uh you know i give so much credit to them and i still even to this day like feel like i don't fully understand uh just like what goes into an expedition like that and so to be under uh and so yeah to be honest i mean it was it was a challenge to for sure like just um you know keep track of all the gear too like i remember the couple of months leading up to the expedition like our whole living room in our house we just had gear everywhere Mm -hmm. just so neatly organized as well and just so um you know prepared to um you know pack everything and we were getting to we're getting ready like our baggage fee uh receipt was about to be absolutely insane too uh leading up to the mountain because we were bringing um almost uh almost a metric ton of of gear alone with us um, which was unbelievable because um, you're in Nepal and in China for about two months. And uh, also leading up to the climb, we did um, hypoxic tent uh, altitude training. So basically there are these uh, tents that uh, encapsulate you right um, in your in your bed, in your bedroom. And uh, you essentially have a machine that is able to uh, pump air that kind of uh, simulates a high altitude environment. So prior to the climb, we were basically acclimatizing that right around like 20,000 feet, which was beneficial because the base camp is at um, 18,000 feet. And then up to 21,000 feet was where we spent most of our time anyways. So beyond that, it would be, you know, just regular uh, acclimatizing and, and getting what's ready for the like, high altitude. Um, what's it like being in that altitude? It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. All of your everything that you take for granted living at sea level, or, I mean, I, I live at 
like 4,000 uh, feet elevation. I, I'm trying to translate it in this in a meters for your audience too, because I, I have a difficult time doing that as well. I used to be better, but um, it's it's difficult. Everything that you do on a daily basis just feels like an extra chore, you know, like uh, maintaining a healthy appetite, uh, drinking enough water. Um, you have to drink more water, especially in an, in, in an environment like that. You have to just make sure you're going to the bathroom regularly, uh, maintain your sleep quality, just all these basic things you never really think about in everyday life where um, you just had to pay uh, extra attention to in, in that kind of environment. And your body, your body is just your body and your metabolism are just working extra hard to even survive, um, up in those altitudes as well. And it's a, it, it's a drain. Like it's literally like even just to walk an extended period of time. And, um, you know, when you first get there, it's just, it's, it's difficult. Like everything you do is just like, it's, you're just out of breath, even like sometimes walking from your tent to a dining room tent, you know, it's, it's, wow. uh, it's, it's difficult. Exhausting. Yeah. Sure. So there's exactly. the uh, less oxygen, but it's also the cold. So how do you prepare for that? Uh, the cold is something you don't really prepare as much for. And where I'm from too, it's not a, um, mm -hmm. it's in Southern California and we're from a mountain town of higher elevation too, of like mm -hmm. 2,500 meters elevation. So we do get snow in the winter, but it melts very quickly. And we don't um, like, we're very, we're, we're very far South um, latitude wise. So um, you know, it could have been a colder place to, uh, to prepare for. But aside from that, honestly, it's like just making sure you know how to layer correctly. And, uh, as far as preventative measures to keep yourself from being cold, you know, it's, it just was always important to just constantly like move your hands and wiggle your, um, toes all the time in your, uh, in your boots as well to just keep your blood flowing and your, um, in your skin moving too. So aside from that though, it's really not a lot that you can do. You just have to, um, keep moving and also like, don't sweat too much. Yeah. You, you in fact, you try not to sweat and it's, it's hard to sweat to begin to with. Sweat. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it's so dry up there. It's hard to sweat anyway, but also mm -hmm. like, uh, to sweat was, is not really a good thing. Cause that can uh, cause hypothermia once you do start, once you wow. stop moving. Um, and so it can, uh, it can be pretty bad. So there's a lot of things that you just have to pay attention to preventative for preventative measures, but for preparing for the cold, um, it, that's, you, there's really not much we could do. Do you get trained in that stuff? Like when you book Everest, like, I, I don't know what the, the booking process is on that, but is there like a training you go through? I know like you can get a Sherpa or you can hire someone. Do they talk you through that? Or, um, because I'm sure there's a lot of like, uh, like when you start a job, you have to do all the health and safety stuff. I'm sure like when you claim Everest, is there um, such a training you go through? Like don't sweat. Uh, like and, a, like, like a health assessment. Yeah. Not even health. Well, well, is there a health assessment and like that stuff, like, you know, try not to sweat. Like, how do you learn mm -hmm. that? Is there like a training you do before you claim Everest? It was, it was all the uh, accumulated experience um, from all the previous climbs that led up to it. So Mount Everest was number six of the seven summits that we had done. And so the, um, the whole idea was like every, like everything experience wise and everything that we had learned, uh, from previous mountains, it's like, if we made any mistakes, we were uh, very good at like debriefing and being able to discuss what went wrong, what could we improve on, what went well that we could uh, continue replicating. And so that Everest, we knew there was just going to be like, I mean, at the end of the day, no mountain is like where you want to make any mistakes, but Everest we knew was just like, 
you know, we just, we have to have all our lessons learned in order to climb a mountain like this. And so um, prior to that though, there were, and then even just on a, on, to touch on like the health assessment thing, like we, um, I was getting like VO2 max uh, tests going on. Cause uh, you know, just out of curiosity and like also for research too, just because uh, nobody my age had gone into, um, gone into high altitude or even uh, climbed in the Himalayas too much as well. So basically that was uh, that was kind of interesting to to kind of like see what uh, what my body was was capable of and then um, but leading up to it as well like I was kind of surprised I think nowadays you do have to take like more of a more of a health assessment like all across the board and I think in Nepal mm -hmm. you do um, if you were to climb on that side on Tibet side I think it's a little bit less like they they just kind of want your money over mm -hmm. there um, so but nowadays obviously there's it, at that time there was no age limit uh and current and currently there is an age limit at this point so um yeah it's there, there's a lot of things that have changed as far as like the rules of climbing everest and i know that on the nepal side they'll often require like a um a resume of the mountains that you've climbed previously to uh really? to issue you a permit wow um so one thing I picked up from watching your videos is that um, your parents were really supportive of you climbing it, which I find incredible because if I, you know, I'm 25 years old, if I said to my parents, I'm going to climb Everest, they'd say, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You're not yeah. allowed to go back to your room. <laughs> so, yeah. what, so your parents were cool right from the get-go and they climbed with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. They climbed every mountain with me. So my, mm -hmm. my parents divorced when I was three years old and it was my dad and, uh, his longtime girlfriend, uh, I always referred to her as my stepmom, uh, Karen, who, um, and it was the three of us who had climbed all the seven summits together. We were, we were a tight bunch for sure. We, we trained together. We, uh, prepared together. We were just, um, I mean, we, we lived together back at home. So, we learned a lot about each other uh, leading up to Everest too. Um, mm. And honestly, yeah, just from the get-go, they, they've they always been uh, an adventurous uh, couple too. My dad had an expedition racing background along with uh, Karen as well. So uh, with expedition racing, like they've done um, adventure races all around the world that are mm. multi-sport and mostly uh, self-propelled with like a map and compass. So there used to be a show called the Ego Challenge back in the day. That was a Mark Burnett production. I don't know if, uh, I know my dad did a race actually in Scotland. Uh, I don't know what year oh, yeah. it was, or I don't even know if that was a part of Ego Challenge at the time, but uh, I know he did do a race over there. Um, he said it was like one of the hardest races he had done also because it wow. was just pouring rain the entire time. But uh, like he Scotland. also, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, he said he, uh, he said he had a, uh, He'd, he'd done he'd been to places like there he'd been to like the jungles of uh, malaysia and borneo he'd been to like brazil and morocco and british columbia and the swiss alps and so he had he had been all over and been really tested uh through all the all the elements too so he kind of incorporated like this fast and light uh style of climbing into our training and how we approach mountains so we were more essentialists and kind of mm -hmm. minimalists kind of from the get-go Sure. Uh, we also operated on a budget too. So we, for the most part, were kind of like you, we were really stretching our resources with what we had to, and we didn't really have a lot of, uh, uh, like we didn't have a lot of financial backing. Uh, we had a good amount of gear too, just from like the adventure racing 
uh, portion of what he did and all the gear that he accumulated. And then, um, through the sponsors in the meantime, like a lot, we, they were, they were able to support us a lot with gear, but money of course was always uh, kind of an issue, um, as well, but yeah. So that was kind of, um, what our style was. And for Everest in like the Himalayas, it's like, you kind of have to abide by the, uh, traditional style i think over there you have to definitely carry a little bit heavier gear but for the most part a lot of the mountains leading up to it we were like mostly in trail running shoes instead of like full-on you know mountaineering boots or something like that like we were really not cutting corners but you know really kind of trimming down all the weight that we could and just uh again we were essentialists really for the most part yeah sure i mean otherwise you need to carry all that stuff with you and that probably makes it a lot harder if you're carrying more stuff well, yeah, we, we would train with like heavy backpacks. We would train with the heavy, uh, with a lot of like the heavy gear that we would have, but, uh, all in all, it would make the carrying the lighter gear just a lot. It, it made us stronger, uh, or made me stronger for the most part. It felt like my dad and Karen, I mean, they trained, but they, they were kind of more maintaining their strength throughout the whole journey. Whereas me, like I had to kind of go from not super active to, you know, being yeah. very athletic, uh, towards the end of it too. So I had a lot of work to be done. Whereas like, they kind of just had, you know, they, they only had to do like a little bit every day to kind of maintain their, um, their strength. Sure. I mean, plus being 13 years old, um, there must be a lot of excitement about, uh, climbing Everest. Did you know at that point you were the youngest person to attempt it? I did. Yeah, I did. When leading up to like when I was 10 years old, I think it was after Denali, um, between Denali and Karsten's Pyramid, I, that was when I kind of knew that Everest was creeping up probably sooner than we would, because uh, I was thinking about, like, our plan initially was to climb Everest at 16, when I was 16 years old, um, and then we had climbed three mountains in the year of 2007 alone, so that just put us so ahead of schedule, and then leading up to Everest, we, I knew I was going to be the youngest, because I think the youngest person to climb up beforehand was uh 17 or 16 and then um and then yeah just right off the bat then all of a sudden I was 13 I was like well we're wow. we're doing this and then all, and the, the stars kind of aligned and uh with the amount of support that we had and what we were aiming for was uh we we were kind of opportunists as well we were like well it's you know I'm 13 we only have two mountains left Mount Vincent Antarctica didn't work out that year because of some logistics issues so it's like I guess we're gonna go for Everest and I'm 13 so at the same time we we're like well I guess this is the year to do it you know it, it'll definitely be beneficial for sure in the in some ways so like we didn't intentionally uh you know try to set the record but like the few months like when 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 at when Vincent failed that winter we were like all right i guess we're going for everest next and putting all, all of our eggs in that basket and then um it just word caught uh word caught pretty quick around the the media and then next thing you know we had like news cameras and people showing up to our house and doing like Amazing. uh news specials so that was uh that was kind of the start of the the media whirlwind yeah it must have been super exciting i saw a, a ted talk you did uh, just after it and you were like 14 years old and you're giving this text talk about climbing everest yeah. i thought it was awesome <laughs> i was young man i was young it's uh it's always tough to watch those uh, videos you had a very different gotta... hairstyle back then yeah for sure well i had a very different hairstyle even like two weeks ago i oh, just yeah. recently cut this a little bit ago yeah my hair was kind of actually getting back to the length of of that too oh, really? i used to have, i used to have like longer curly hair but uh 
yeah, that TED talk was, was interesting. That was kind of what started my speaking career, um, quite a bit. That's kind of what set it off actually. Cause, uh, I knew that it was a story worth telling and to be up on stage and to share the story with, uh, people, we realized that mm-hmm. there was, um, that it was going to have an impact on inspiring, uh, people who were, uh, around my age who, were looking for some sort of ambition or pa- passion to to kind of chase and look for. So um, we realized it had an impact, and then that's kind of why we uh, wrote the book as well, so that it was a legacy to um, to be in students' hands all around the country and the world. Yeah. So what's your book called? My book is called No Summit Out of Sight, and uh, we had it was a collaborative effort with uh, myself, my dad, Karen, and. Uh, and uh, Linda LeBlanc is the uh, is the co-author too. She's the one who uh, who had wrote everything down. The uh, the whole fact is like I didn't really keep a journal on a lot of these climbs, so we just had to recount the memory of all three of us essentially to just uh, to just remember what happened on which date, uh, which was hard too. That was uh, that was difficult to be like, no, this happened on. May 17th. No, that happened on May 20th, you know? And so uh-huh. we also had to like review a lot of footage and kind of recompile the stories. So no, yeah. If I were to give any, anyone some advice on, you know, if they're doing some amazing stuff like that, like keep a journal, not only because, you know, if you want to write a book about it, it'll be easier, but right, right now, any day, you know, I would love to, I would do anything to just see my handwriting back then. And just to see what I was feeling um, at the time too, which I can only, uh, recollect so much of, um, you know, 10, 11 years, uh, you know, 11 years later now. So yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, sure, been man. that long at this point. I'll put a link to your book and all of your social you. media in the description. So if people want to get hold of your book, uh, they can do that. That's awesome. Uh, another, another question I want to speak to you about is the dangers of climbing Mount Everest, because, you know, I've, I watched a Ted talk it was by, I want to say his name was Ken Kilmer. Do you know the story of the guy who went into a hypothermic coma on Everest? And then he I, woke yeah, up. I do. Yeah. So um, I was watching the TEDx video of that recently. Incredible, incredible story. So um, there's a, obviously a lot of different dangers. I think there's parts where you have to climb over really deep crevices. If you fall, it's a very deep fall. Uh, I think you're at risk of like uh, potentially avalanche and other things. What are some of the dangers you actually? faced on the journey yeah there were there were there, there's a lot of uncontrollable elements mm-hmm. uh climbing any mountains for that matter uh, especially going to alaska even to climb denali where there was just brutal cold to to face and to and really not much you can do to kind of prepare leading up to it um but you just have to make sure you just have the right gear in order to mm-hmm. prevent you from uh facing some hypothermic um you know, uh, roadblocks and, and just general like health conditions too, that you can uh, develop, especially when you're at high altitude, it's, it's very easy for that to happen. So there's, there's the cold, um, which is pretty self-explanatory and just trying to prevent that preventing frostbite. Um, the other is also, um, high altitude sickness as well, not to mention it's, it's just a brutal environment, which we were uh, talking about earlier in which your body is just struggling all the time just to like just to function for the most part and uh also uh your brain and your um your red blood cells can essentially starve from oxygen if you 
move at too fast of a pace um, and cover too much ground too quickly elevation wise. And that can result in some serious uh, illnesses and can cause a lot of uh, uh, brain swelling as well. So uh, that's a, that's a condition called um, edema is called is what it's called. And basically it's uh, it's something that you just really don't want to happen because it will just require you to get down to a lower elevation quickly. Like most of the time that will like also require a, um, an airlift out, which you don't want that to ever happen. And, uh, then you have crevasses obviously, which we dealt with, but not to the degree that most people would deal with if they were to climb on the uh, Kumbo icefall side, which we did not, we climbed on the Northeastern side on in the country of China in the Tibetan region. And, uh, that area we did not encounter as many aval- uh, as many crevasses. However, uh, we did encounter one avalanche, which is a story in of itself because it was just, yeah, an, an extremely terrifying moment that is uh, tough to recollect because I, I remember it vividly, but it all happened so quick, but so slow in real time. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was just a moment that I just knew that I remember asking myself, like, is this the day? I really was just wow. like gen- uh, genuinely wor- like worried for my life and actually concerned. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, that was just. So um, w- w- how far into the Everest climb were you when the avalanche occurred? It was uh, two, it was about two and a half weeks into the climb from what I remember, because mm-hmm. we got to the mountain around uh, late April. Um, So I want to say it was around like April 17th, between April 17th and April 20th of that year. And um, yeah, it it was, it was pretty early on in the climb and we were climbing in between mounts or sorry, in between advanced base camp and camp one. And camp one is kind of sitting on top of a saddle in which uh, to get from base camp or from advanced base camp to camp one, you have to climb through the only section of crevasses, which is definitely a moment in which you're on heightened alert because that's more of a place where it's a lot of unpredictable and uncontrollable things that, um, that you, that can just happen at any time, you know, as far as like, if you're next to a big ice wall, like that could come collapsing down at any moment. Uh, when you're up past that point, there's a lot more, um, controllable risk factors such as wind, uh, such as the cold, that's more stuff that we would have to deal with and just more exposure, uh, to those elements. Whereas in this zone in particular, you have constant, it's more of a glacier that you're crossing through here. So you just have a lot more like shifting, uh, parts of it, um, in which that just all happens no matter what. And you just have zero, um, zero way of, um, being able to control it. So I remember we were traversing across a, uh, certain path, basically almost kind of like a gully in a way, uh, kind of a shallow long gully. And right above it is this big wall, uh, known as a Serac, which is essentially, uh, kind of like a big ice shelf. And basically what happened was extremely similar to what you see like Greenland and, uh, and some glaciers in Alaska, like when they get pushed out to the furthest edge onto the ocean. And when they all, all of a sudden start to collapse, the avalanche replicated exactly that in which it just all came down crumbling and just turned into like 
um, smaller ice pieces and snow basically, and just created this huge snow dust cloud. And uh, at that point we were just so, um, so it's caught off guard and it was, it was just so loud and so intense. And uh, you could also just kind of feel it like rumbling and, and kind of uh, vibrating through your body. And you've just never felt so like vulnerable mm -hmm. that you're just at like, you're literally feeling like you're just going to be crushed with the finger of God almost, you know, it's like, you're just feel that small and insignificant wow. when it happens. And so it's just a really uh, humbling moment for sure. And so we were lucky because we were just like, um, I was buried up to my waist, almost kind of like my, um, you know, upper torso, almost, uh, my dad was right behind me and, uh, and we had my stepmom and, uh, one of our lead Sherpas as well, who was, uh, up above and were luckily, um, not impacted by the actual slide itself. Um, oh. luckily, uh, we weren't carried too far. Otherwise we would have went off of a pretty, um, pretty steep cliff too. So I get up and as I'm applying pressure, uh, with my foot to even just like get out of the snow, I just hear kind of, a my dad just make a noise like, Oh my God. And I was like, I, I was like, Oh my God, I hope he's, uh, I hope he's okay. Like, I don't he's know what, uh, what did I do? I, I thought he was hurt from the avalanche. Turns out what happened was my, my crampons, my, uh, the, um, uh, the spikes on the bottom of my boot essentially were like razor thin, brand new. And, or razor sharp and brand new and had uh, punctured both of his uh, thighs. And uh, oh I think during the actual slide too, one went in, into his forehead as well. So to say I was apologetic uh, is, uh, is yeah. an understatement after that. And, uh, you know, I mean, it must have just... been really uh, quite a drastic thing to happen. The fact that your dad actually ended up underneath you and you didn't know he was underneath you. It must have been well, I knew he, drastic. I knew he was behind me, but he was like, he wasn't buried underneath. He was just kind of behind me, like very, very close. So I think just the way that we kind of um, got pushed into each other from the snow, uh, that's how it happened. Essentially. Wow. It's still, it's still kind of tough to recount exactly uh, what happened, but yeah, Karen got a pretty, uh, pretty intense clip of exactly what happened. And it was just like the, the scale at which it happened was every time I look at it, it's just, the it's it's huge it was absolutely massive if you just see the the size of the serac compared to you know how small we were uh next to it it was so terrifying and mm -hmm. unfortunately uh there was one person who did get fully buried and uh ended up ended up dying from that accident and then uh there was one other person who sustained an injury uh unfortunately had to call it an expedition but wow. yeah it just it, it just re-enhanced or re-emphasized the seriousness of what we were dealing with and that you know it's no joke and i and i knew that yeah. going into the climb but you you don't know until you know like you don't know until you get an experience like that and uh then you walk away from something like that you just are you're so much more grateful to be alive and of course so much more uh you know glad to <laughs> just glad to be here you're like touching your face you're like yes i'm here i'm still Thank alive God. and it's it's a it's a relief to say mm -hmm. the least yeah, well, another reminder is I think there's actually, like, they leave the bodies there, right? You probably come across quite a lot of those on the way up. And for, for you as a 13-year-old at the time, like, uh, it must have been, I don't know, like, uh, I suppose, like, we know about it now. Obviously, we have internet and we can hear stories and stuff. But for you, 13 years old, climbing up there, uh, like, what kind of effect did that have on you at the time? Yeah, 
seeing seeing uh remnants of people's bodies up there at that age was was again uh humbling and i i it took a it took a lot to process it took a long time to even process i I don't even think i could at the time when i was there i would just um i would see it and not really know how to react to it Mm -hmm. um all i knew was that the most that i could do was essentially kind of pay my respects and keep moving on but uh it was weird too yeah it must have been yeah it's still something that i don't really like like i'm i'm fine to talk about it it's just that i can't i I couldn't process uh process it at that age and even now too it's just even weird to even think about uh seeing uh seeing a dead uh dead person and uh not not only a dead person but someone who is doing exactly what you were doing out there um overall too it was uh it was a huge reminder that we needed to stay together as a team stick to the plan and that we just had a mantra of no mistakes um strong communication between all six of us who were aiming to go for the summit mm-hmm. and staying close by to one another checking in on each other as long as we did that that's kind of the most that we could do and uh you know we were kind of making sure that you know it was it was all or nothing you know we we made sure we had a strong pact in which you know even if one of our sherpas were feeling feeling ill even if it was just short of the summit we would have sacrificed uh the summit uh for them because up there you have to look out for one another because when you're up in the death zone you're in an area in which um life is so fragile already with your body and how much it's taken to even survive up there that like if any slight thing goes wrong it is all hands on deck on making sure that person makes it out safely like there is i you couldn't live with the guilt if you know say you were having someone was having issues and you just you know uh said like oh well the summit's right there and we're just going to keep going and then all of a sudden you know you they don't make it back down you know we wouldn't be able to live with ourselves if that were to happen so yeah of course it's just like we're we're sticking together we're making sure that we're all good and as long as we are then we're going for the summit and even if we were like 15 minutes behind schedule we would still have to turn around too because you're just on that strict of a time frame and just making sure that you know the limited supplies that we even have can even last us long enough so it's a very sensible way to approach it and um yeah i mean speaking to you about your experience going up and how delicate it is and how carefully you had to take getting up into that death zone uh because you you're completely right i mean i i think i i wasn't really fully aware of how delicate it was but to be even like 15 minutes behind i really like what you said about the teamwork that you're in the team and if even if it was a sherpa uh, who was falling behind you would have stayed with them uh, i think that's a really good mentality you had going up there and that would have made it um, a lot more manageable when you're working as that unit going up but i saw in one of your videos when you actually hit the peak it was a really emotional moment for you right yeah um the summit of everest was emotional uh probably the most emotional one that i was uh that I was just expressing a lot more was the summit of Denali because mm-hmm. that was that, that was a tough one that was kind of like the the boot camp of of mountains in which uh 
there there couldn't be a better mountain really to to prepare for Everest as far as just like the elements and a uh, very simulated environment. I would almost argue that Alaska is a is a harsher environment than than the Himalayas too. Really? It's 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 cold up there. I'd say it's it's more remote. There's a lot. There's many more unclimbed mountains up there too. Uh, Denali obviously is very popular, but Alaska is just it's a it's a different breed of humans that live up there, <laughs> and uh, yeah, a lot. And and Denali too was just a lot of uh, vertical elevation to cover in a very short amount of time because mm-hmm. uh, Everest was about eleven thousand feet, but you're at much higher. You start out at a much higher altitude. But, uh, you know, at that point from 18,000 feet and beyond, you just have to, um, and when you get up into 8,000 meters plus, you just have to move a lot slower on Denali though. We start at 7,000 feet and climb up to 20,000 feet. So it's about, it's, it's more so than Everest elevation wise. Uh, but you start lower. Uh, but still though, like even to cover that much ground in seven days was really tough because um i think a lot of people usually end up climbing denali anywhere from 14 to 20 days is usually the standard time frame and we were just we were going just based on how we felt we also had a lot less gear to carry and to mm-hmm. keep track of so we were just kind of just moving a lot faster and uh it was tough on me for sure being 11 years old and so i just remember being at the summit like Oh my God. That was, that was horrible. I never want to do that again. Like I was just so, uh, I was, I was relieved to be up there too, but I was like, Oh my God, we just, every day was just a struggle and, uh, a mental battle too, not to mention Mm -hmm. just, it really put me to the test of like what I was uh, capable of doing. And, you know, that mountain taught me how to, how to suffer too. I think because of that, like Everest was manageable. I remember like Everest, um, it didn't really feel so much, like a like a suffer fest there i mean it was still don't get me wrong but like if it weren't for denali i would have not been conditioned well enough to go climb a mountain like that so denali was the mountain that really i think like broke me down and really built me back up it must make you a more resilient person have you found like you know denali kind of helped you get that resilience for climbing everest but for how sure. would you say that's yeah. uh, translated into the rest of your life that resilience yeah 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 yes and no i'm i'm a very uh i'm a very uh i'm a i i i like to think that i mean i'm a i'm a i'm a very empathetic person i i go out of my way to just um be a very uh to to be a very like nice person and to like show kindness kind of treat people how how i like to be treated um if you knew my parents it would definitely be a very uh you kind of understand where i get it from because my mom is like the person who is just like, you know, just a person who expresses so much positivity and love and all that stuff. And that's kind of what I uh, got most of my dad on the, the other hand is, uh, is very much so like that, but just with a lot more resilience, I think. And so um, that in of itself is something that's, uh, it's a little, it's a little tougher for sure. Like, I, I still think that, yes, I can suffer like a lot more during doing athletic um, events too. Like I know how to suffer when, uh, I'm physically being tested for sure. Uh, but I think like mentally too, just even with life too, it's, it's kind of, I still don't think I'm a very confronting person for the most part. Um, 
that's just kind of like how I was brought up for the most part. So uh, yeah, resilience, I'm re resilient more physically, I'd say than, than mentally for sure. Um, but yeah, to, to talk about it from, from that perspective, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's taught me a lot for sure. I think it's more taught me just the, the whole idea of like teamwork. And I think it's more, uh, more taught. I'm a, I'm a very communal person too. Like I, I kind of get stressed out if I'm not doing my part, uh, if I'm part of a team and trying to accomplish a project or a goal or something like that. So that's kind of what all of those mounts kind of instilled in me. Like, I always want to make sure that I'm just like doing my part, um, and making sure that, you know, uh, the burden is not like being on being more on someone else's shoulders than mine, you know? So uh, that, that's kind of what mountaineering and doing those team expeditions kind of taught me. Amazing. That's awesome. So see with climbing Everest, that's like one of the, um, it's considered one of the biggest challenges a human can kind of go through uh, mentally, physically. So you did that at 13. So uh, what like other things do you have ahead of you? Do you have any other like uh, like in projects? Any other, do you ever plan on revisiting Everest? Yeah, I, that that's where, yeah, I think, I, I think mountaineering, what, like when everything had settled in, uh, and, and finish because I mean there was Everest and then we still had the highest mountain in Antarctica to do after that. After climbing the seven summits, it definitely felt like a bit of a relief, and I felt like I uh, I, I wanted to like take a small break, and I, I felt like um, the momentum of continuing these climbs was like for, for me when I'm in a momentum I feel like I'm I feel like I'm unstoppable but when I you know let the waters kind of um when, when I let the waters kind of calm down in between it's a little bit harder to kind of uh, get the momentum up and uh, that's that's kind of where I was uh that, that's kind of where I was after because I also had the passion of uh of skiing for uh, quite some time as well. Um, cause that's what I grew up doing mostly. And that was also something I found that I could do with my friends too. Um, it was a lot more social and mountaineering is not something that people my age at the time. And even people my age do now, it's a very, um, it's a very like, I like 35, like 40 plus year old sport. That, that's the, that's the general demographic of it. And so I was very surrounded by, um, by a lot of adults at the time too. So it required me to be, uh, very mature for my age, but I also was very, um, I, I also like just wanted, you know, friends to relate to at the time as well. So that's why I like, um, started skiing a lot more and I ended up getting, uh, getting pretty good, like good enough to pick up a, like a ski sponsor uh, in the beginning or throughout like high school and then moving out here to Utah as well. That's why I moved out to Salt Lake city was because of skiing. And so that was just something that I um, ended up uh, pursuing and then also juggling like school and work too was a little bit of a challenge. And then skiing is uh, you know, I, you realize too, like with a lot of professionals and uh, people who are going to do some very, um, unusual things is that they 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 sacrifice a lot for sure and it, it it since then i kind of realized like wow i i did sacrifice a lot in order to climb these mountains like i sacrificed like time with my friends and a lot of uh you know like 
some childhood memories, which were like unbelievable. I mean, looking back, it's like, who cares? But I mean, at the time with what I was thinking and all the information I had, it was, um, I was very, uh, I felt like I was very lacking of just like, you know, even talking to girls or just, you know, getting along with people, you know, my age too. So that was another thing that just kind of was just always bouncing around in my head. And so, uh, when my dad was like, what's next, I was like, uh, I I want to be a kid like still <laughs> and yeah <laughs> hanging still, out friends so. climbing trees <laughs> well and I was like 15 and I and I mean skiing was like everything I was super into as well but um even then still I was uh yeah so you can kind of mm-hmm. you can kind of under uh you can kind of understand where my head was at the time and then college kind of came about or university and I was uh kind of focused on that but also like aiming to ski more and um you know even like right now too it's just kind of playing catch up uh so at the moment right now it's like yeah i've been brainstorming um quite a few things and just just getting to the drawing boards and just writing stuff down and there's uh there's a lot of like even local challenges in which um i love mountain biking i love to ski during the winter i also love to trail run in the summer too so i love um like uh, there, there's a few looming challenges that I probably don't want to disclose just yet because I'd rather let my actions kind of do the talking rather than words. But I have a, I have a, few, a couple of uh, different challenges lined up this year that are mostly accomplishable within like a few days, but they're local here in Utah that I just want to have checked off my list. So I just have like a little goal of these certain endurance challenges that I want to check off too. So that's um, amazing. Yeah, you'll, you'll 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 have to keep posted on like on yeah, my social media and all that stuff for, for what happens. It'll be, it'll be later this year as, uh, as like August and September approaches, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm yeah, excited. Man, I'm, I'm well, I'm following you and everything. So I'll be one of the first to see, I hope when Thanks. you, when you do it and maybe you can come back on and tell us about what happened. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it won't be, it won't be, um, like record breaking or anything like that. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm, uh, there, there's, there's elite athletes who are just like, so above and beyond and just so like focused on what they're doing. Uh, I love the problem with me is like, I love to do, you know, I, I have like three different sports that I like doing. And if I'm just, you know, better than the average person, then I'm like very happy with that in of a way. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, again, it kind of goes back to like the whole, um, competitive uh, the inner competitiveness of me like I didn't play team sports a lot growing up so the drive and hunger to just like beat somebody and all this stuff it's like it's very hard for me to to do that I'm a lot more like self-competitive and I'm, I just try to you know aim for like how can I get faster than I was previously you know so that's kind of where a lot of uh that's where a lot of athletes are too so I mean I, I know I'm definitely not alone with that but yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is and kind of what's next right now. It's it's been uh it's been oddly stagnant to to be completely honest and I always hate to, to say that but I, you know, no, I got to be an open book and honest with honest with myself and honest with others. So, um but yeah, it's yeah. it's been it's been uh it's been a wild ride, man. Since then, it's hard to believe that it happened 10 11 years ago, especially with Everest wow. to go from such a whirlwind of of uh media too and i and even doing interviews consistently like this is is a trip too i even just love like just talking to other people and hearing their experiences and what they love to do and i'm more just fascinated with like um i think just like i love hearing other people's stories whether it's athletic or not like i love hearing like survival stories or cultural stories and i'm so fascinated with history going to other countries is just like 
the coolest thing ever. Like I realized that I'm like a little bit of an anthropologist too, because I love like talking with people. Like when I was even just uh, talking with the Sherpas on our team, like I was just so fascinated with uh, what it was like growing up for them in a, in a place like that. And uh, what it's, what their, what their homes are like and, and how they, how they, um, you know, what, what their economy is like and how mm-hmm. they, how they tend to survive too. And just, and I love food too. So that's like the big thing of me. It's like, if I were to pick a career, it's like, it has to, I, I ultimately want to achieve something in which I'm just going around and seeing as much of the world as possible. That's all that really matters. That's awesome, man. I welcome you here to Scotland. You and I can do Ben Nevis together. <laughs> Thanks, man. I would, I would love to. I'd love to see Scotland. I've never been to the UK really other, uh, other than like the Heathrow airport, but I'd love to see the UK too. It seems like a very beautiful area and Scotland looks, Scotland looks like a hell of a time, man. I'd love to just like go see the, go see the pubs and just go see like the mountains and just see the history and the castles and, and the coastline too. So I'd love to Come see on, you I welcome you. Uh, before yeah. we finish off, I've just got a quick small question, a few small questions for you. Mm-hmm. So are, first, are you a reader? I'm a, I'm, I am a reader. Yeah, well, you have to be because you're an author as well. So uh, yeah, tell me, what's your favorite book? Uh, my favorite book, recently read it, um, Sapiens by um, by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Very, yeah, okay. uh, yeah it's, yeah, that, that's probably my favorite book that I've read so far that like really re uh restructured a lot of uh ways of like seeing our human existence right now and everything leading up to the present so i'd say that's my favorite book amazing and do you have a favorite quote oh that's a tough one i swear like i'll see a quote every uh every now and then um that will kind of be my new favorite quote i think right now the most recent one that comes to memory um that i'm kind of learning as well to apply in my life a little bit more is that uh mood follows action and uh it's it's very simple but i think also very powerful too because uh i think it's just it helps a lot with um especially a lot of people in our day in our day and age with motivation uh comparing yourself to others on social media and i think just kind of like getting yourself out of a funk or uh or a bit of a rut too you kind of got to understand that you just have to do things and then basically those feelings of accomplishments will kind of reframe your mindset too so i think mood follows action i i don't know who said that really but it's just kind of like a mantra i guess that is uh something that's like one of my favorite quotes right now to follow yeah i entirely agree with that as well james allen author of the book as a man thinketh he elaborates on that whole that idea in his book so i'd recommend Mm -hmm. you check that out yeah. But, um, last question for you. Favorite movie? Favorite movie. Oh man. Great movie. Ah, oh, dang. That's a tough one. These are so <laughs> on the spot. I should have, I should have studied for this. Uh, what's I asked this to I all saw? of my guests. I'm starting to think uh, I should probably send these questions before the podcast. <laughs> well, the, the, the movie one is tough because books, yeah. it, books are, um, books are easy to think about quotes. It, yeah. It, it, it sequentially gets harder, but, uh, Oh man, I, I knew this. Um, the other day I watched, uh, well, I guess, well, right now I'd say like, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, uh, movie, but I guess, uh, if I can just kind of reframe it, like the documentary series that I was talking about earlier, um, I think like the last dance on Netflix was one of the best and like most well-done documentary series, um, of, 
uh, in, in recent times. I thought it was just so interesting to see the, um, like what was going into just the behind the scenes of, of the Chicago Bulls and during the NBA um, golden era of the 1990s. Cause that was right when I was born and I was born at, I was named after Michael Jordan too. And so oh, wow. um, my dad talked to, talked a lot about it, but I still didn't fully understand it. But watching that whole series from start to finish, um, I was just so captivated with like how um, these humans could just achieve the unthinkable and win six NBA championships, which has still to this day never been done. And so it was just, it was so fascinating to see just how hungry these people um, were to win. And especially Michael Jordan too, where he was just so competitive, like so incredibly like would, will sacrifice and do anything to win. So um, I thought that was like in most, in my, most recent uh, collection of movies I thought that was like the uh, most favorite one but I'm sure I'll think of it later and be like damn it I should have thought of that but uh, yeah for sure I mean there's some major motion pictures that uh, that are really good that um, I haven't seen in a while but I don't really watch too many movies like maybe like once a month I'll watch a really good one but um, not enough I I like reading books a little bit more so um, but I love a good movie and just a good I love a good story regardless like just something from start to finish that can just yeah just make you think wow that actually happened <laughs> great man jordan thank you so much for your time i'm really happy to have had you on and i mean it when i say come to scotland and we'll do uh, one of the mountains together thanks but, right uh, yeah i as far as like yeah especially um once i'm able to travel again and hopefully get vaccinated here soon it's it's it'll be the like i will have all these places that I've never been to and Scotland being on the list and like, I want to go to the middle East and Pakistan and Asia, and Africa too. And I will 100%. Uh, I, and I, I, I have like a list of like people to also like hit up as well. Like when I'm, when I'm there too. So you're definitely on my list for Scotland. Awesome. Awesome. And, li- and likewise, and like, and likewise, if you're ever in uh, in Utah too. So I'd love to, I'd love to make awesome, it happen. Man. I'll let you know. Oh, thanks so much. For- all right.